Listening to Condé Nast Traveler's podcast, Women Who Travel, you will be transported to the ancient ruins of Pompeii, to New York City's most storied neighborhoods, and to the jaw-dropping peaks of Bhutan. It's the best of what you love about traveling, experiencing different people, cultures, and perspectives, all from the comfort of your own home. Each week, join host and global journalist Lali Alikoglu as she shares her own experiences along with those of self-identifying women travelers from all over the globe. How do the bestie comedian pairs of Sheer Zamata and Nicole Byer navigate travel together? What can you realistically expect from your first global solo travel experience? How is dance used as a tool for healing in Indigenous Australian communities? If these questions piqued your interest, pack your bags and go on a journey with women who travel. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Heathrow Airport, London. February 1970. A plane lands after a very long flight from Colombo, Sri Lanka. It's a Vickers VC-10, emblazoned with a logo that no longer exists. And the plane takes 151 passengers. The ground crew roll in the stairs. And eventually, after a long wait, the door opens and people start filing out. A young woman, not yet in her 30s, takes her time to make sure her things are together. She convinces herself that it's to make sure she's not forgotten any of her hand luggage. The truth is that she's not got any hand luggage, and she's scared of leaving the cabin. Finally, she walks through the door, propelled by the smiles of the three air stewardesses. The first thing that hits her face is the cold. Then, it's a snowflake. Then, it's the tears. What have I done? She's heard of snow before, but has never seen it. What am I doing? Hey, it's Rohan, your host of Meditative Story, and I'm pleased to invite you into another one of my solo episodes. And this week I'm not sharing a story of my life. Actually, it's very much a story of my life. But it's probably fairer to say that it's really my mother's. I think about the tears of my mother's a lot, probably a couple of times a week if I'm honest. The salt mixing with the snow on her face, the coldness of the air, the greyness all around her in her vision, tarmac, terminal, sky. Feel the touch of the world on your face, any heat, any cool, any energy. My mother grew up in rural Sri Lanka, in the spaces where the wildness of the kale or jungle transitioned into the city. The oldest of four children and the only girl, she was the child of two head teachers, both rather strict. Their space to roam, and monkeys and birds and insects an all-hours constant soundtrack. There are fights over who'll get to suck the mango seed after the fruits from the big tree out front are cut and shared. All water is got from the well, and it tastes so bright, cooled in terracotta jugs. I get a taste of this too when I visit her mother, my grandmother, in the 80s and early 90s. 
I bathe outside by the well. The subterranean water, just what I need in the humid 90 degree heat. I'm warned not to get too close to the monitor lizards. Growing up in London, you get told not to go too close to swans, since they will certainly, and entirely apocryphally, break your arm. In Sri Lanka, it's monitor lizards. I think of my own children's life today, and how different it is to hers in Bhatramulla and then Piliandula. When my mother first leaves home, it's for university. Peradini University is on the outskirts of Kandy, the ancient hill country seat of kings. There are bougainvilleas everywhere. It sits in the embrace of the great Mahaweli River, and the nature is so beautiful. There's a royal botanical garden next door, and it's hard to say where the boundary is. My mother is a great student, a nerd really, and goes on to be a lecturer in geography. It's not hard to see why, with the inspiration in the land all around her. Is there somewhere you can time travel to? Place yourself in a moment in your own history and imagine what it's like to really be there. When my mother next leaves home, it's for England. Leaving the country and the family and the security she's so attached to. At the time, there are many stories told of the promise of moving to the UK. It's an adventure, yes, but she doesn't know what kind yet. She will marry a man who she's only met a couple of times. My to-be father, driven to her family house in a 1950 Volkswagen Bug, bottle green. I visit the car every time I go to Sri Lanka. It's in my uncle's garage, and it's a pilgrimage. They marry later that year at the Commonwealth Institute in Kensington. That building doesn't exist anymore. I live on the other side of the country from my mother now, me in Scotland, her still in the London suburb where I grew up. She often asks me when I'm going to move closer to her. When I ask her why she moved, she says it was for us. So that three unborn children beings that did not exist at the time the decision was made, had a better opportunity in life. I think about this all the time. The tears on the runway. Her seeing snow for the first time. And the shock of that overwhelming her in an already overwhelming moment. She did it for us. She did it for me even though there was no me. I think about this more often than I bother to call her. But there's a threshold I walk up to in my thoughts, one that if I go beyond it, it becomes too much. And I'm there too. Top of the steps. My mother used to think that meditation was a waste of time. Then she saw how I was becoming a better Rohan. Then she learnt more about contemplative practice in general. If you asked her to describe meditation, she'd say it was about focusing on your breath. I've tried to explain a different, more generous perspective of what it's about, but she thinks what she thinks. So, for her, 
Let's just do that. Focus on your breath. Focus is a word that can have a lot of tightness built into it, so watch out for that. Focus on your breath. But more importantly, be open to learning something about what happens when you do. Doing the work. Walking down the steps. And doing it so that those that come after you have a better life. Everything we do now affects everyone around us in the future. Even the people we've not met yet. What would it be like to meet life with that sense of stewardship and care? Thanks, Amma. I still can't believe you did it. And I don't know if I could do it myself. And thank you. Till the next time. On behalf of the team at Meditative Story, Thank you for spending time with us today. We love creating the show for you. And if the show serves you in a meaningful way, we'd love to hear from you. Would you take a minute right now to write us a review in your podcast app? When you leave a review, it really inspires our team. And we're a group who derives so much energy from understanding how meditative story impacts you. It's also a way for you to pay it forward by helping others discover the show. So if leaving a review speaks to you today, we'd really appreciate it. Meditative Story is a Wait What original. Our executive producers are Darren Triff and June Cohen. The series is produced by Dorothy Abrams. Original music and sound design by Ryan Holiday. Chris Collin is our head writer, with scriptwriters Peter Keckley, Florence Williams, Jess Winfield, Hannah Brencher, Belle Shea, 
and Andrew Rincon. Technical support from Robin Wise. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Emily McManus, Christina Gonzalez, Anna Pizzino, Ben Richardson, Sarah Tata, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Samuel Puta, Colin Howarth, Charlie Menezes, and Adam Heiner. And I'm Rohan Gunatilaka, creator of the Buddhify Meditation app and your host. Visit meditativestory.com to find the transcript for this episode.